Good day to you all. My name is Michael Fox, and I am the host of an internet broadcast from England that goes by the name of the Little Metal Dog Show. I was recently approached by a gentleman by the name of Chris from one of those internet blogs that I hear so much about nowadays. His was entitled Dice Hate Me, and it happened to be about the same subject I am passionate about board gaming. I was asked to lend my dulcet tones to an introduction to his first episode. Of course, who am I to refuse? So after some hard negotiation and not a little bit of cash, I present to you now their premiere offering. Good luck to all who sail in her. And good day. All right, hello and welcome to the State of Games. I'm Dice Hate Me. And I'm Monkey238. And this is our inaugural podcast where we're going to discuss all sorts of things geeky and gaming. First of all, we'd like to thank our brilliant intro and credit Michael Fox of the Little Metal Dog Show. Always a scholar and a gentleman, you can check out his podcast at littlemetaldogshow.com. For any of you just joining us on the podcast and aren't familiar with DiceHateMe.com, I'm Chris. And I'm Sherilyn. Respectively, Dice Hate Me and Monkey238. And uh, I just want to start off the podcast by talking a little bit with Monkey about how she got into gaming hardcore. Uh, before she had met me, she would maybe played, like, what? What do you think? Monopoly. Cranium. Scrabble. Yeah. Things like that. All the nerdy stuff. I mean, it's fairly nerdy, yeah. But wouldn't you think some of the games that we play now are a little more nerdy? They're more geeky. Oh, they're more that's geeky. That's for sure. Is that the, is that the designator? That's, yes, that's the term we use. Oh, that's a term we nerds use. <laughs> yeah, the nerds and the geeks don't like to mix too much. It's up in the middle with board games. Well, um, actually, what what, do you, what would you consider maybe the first game that uh, I can I've called gateway games? And gateway games uh, in in the geek community is sort of games that we consider that we can invite our friends, family who aren't into the hardcore games uh, to introduce them to that world. What would you consider the game that really introduced you to this world? I think the first one you introduced me to was Roll Through the Ages, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think probably the cool wooden die or what convinced me that gaming could be a pretty groovy thing to do. <laughs> and then I think the next one might have been Ticket to Ride, even though I think that's less geeky than Roll Through the Ages. Yeah, I would consider Ticket to Ride more of a traditional gateway game. Uh, Roll Through the Ages is a, is, a, is becoming a gateway game, and you're right. Because of the components and the, the, the wooden die that come in the box, it's, it's a great thing to really introduce people to. We've played a lot of games. I mean, last, last year you played how many new games? I think we counted 38 or 39 by the end of 2010. Something like that. And we've played quite a few since then as well, introducing her to games like Arkham Horror and uh, you know a couple of new, even geekier games like Hansa Teutonica. Um, and, uh, the Hansa Pneumonica. Hansa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had no idea what the heck I was bringing home when I brought that one in. But uh, what would you consider, though, of the games you played last year? I mean, we've had our Games of the Year podcast, and I mean, not podcast, but the article that was on DiceHateMe.com. But what would you consider your favorite game of everything we've played? Well, I voted Pandemic as my all-year favorite new game that I played. I just like the cooperative nature of it, and the graphics are really cool, and I like the idea we're trying to help the world. 
Yeah, and that's that's something I'd like to talk to you about a little bit later, and probably not in this podcast, but it's interesting to me about how many people find that game approachable and because of its cooperative nature. So that's something I'd like to talk to you, especially with uh, gender in games, and, and possibly we'll take a look at that in other podcasts. But now that you know more about Monkey, and we're kind of uh, talking a bit about how she got into gaming, she was mentioning to me the other day that games can intersect with life. She was coming home. What was the story you were telling me? Well, the first time was I was listening to NPR on my way home from school, university, that is. And um, a story caught my ear because they were talking about something going on in Karachi. And I thought, oh, Karachi, that's a black cube. I wonder how many there are on it. And then, um, to be honest with you, I wasn't listening to the rest of the program. Yeah, you were already playing Pandemic. I was, yeah. I was trying to decide where it was located and what I would do if I were there. Of course, your first reaction was, when are we playing Pandemic again, (laughs) right? Yeah, because I'd been deprived already for weeks of you promising me that we'd play again. (laughs) Anyway, so my mind drifted off and then got sucked back in again because I heard Khartoum. And there's, you know, all this turmoil, and all I could think about were yellow cubes. And I, I felt a little guilty, but at the same time, I thought, whatever. I mean, however it applies to my life, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and maybe if we had, like, some uh, in, on board game news on, on now on BoardGameGeek.com, where the uh, former editor is now doing board game news on that website, maybe if we had some broadcasts that related the world news to our board game lives, we might uh, pay more attention to what's going on in the world. Yeah, I probably should. Yeah, I was thinking uh, every time I hear the word Twilight, I always think, well, do they mean Twilight Struggle? Do they mean Twilight Imperium? (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, no, it's the glittery vampires. But um, (laughs) what was the one you were telling me about Agricola the other day? Um, We were watching a portion of a documentary that was put out called Guns, Germs, and Steel, and it relates kind of the journey of this man, Jared Diamond, and um, he was describing how he believes that farming is the fundamental, is the key to success for a civilization to grow. And um, as he was talking about wheat and cows and sheep, I was thinking about where on my Agricola board I'd be placing them <laughs> <laughs> and how I never use that strategy. I Chris here is is the farmer. Um, I don't know if that's because he's from the South or whatever, and that's what they do. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to like our pigs and, and sheep in the South. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but we usually grow tobacco here. We don't get that option in Agricola. No, just... Just Puerto Rico. Yeah, you can get carrots, I think, in Agricola. <laughs> <laughs> and slices of bread. But, um, yeah, I usually, I usually go the animal route. I guess it's the... I don't know why I do. They're that's, cute. That's the hunter-gatherer in you, I think. It goes back to your Chinese roots. Yeah, whatever. You try not to eat your animals. You like to <laughs> you like to wrangle them and pet them and, and create little houses for them and things like that. That's funny because if I was, you know, I've and I've listened to the Guns, Germs, and Steel documentary and, and uh, read a portion of the books, but I would initially think of Settlers of Catan before I would Agricola probably because it's all the same sort of things. And, and, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you got your wheat. You get... And they, he doesn't really mention, uh, you know, mud or clay and uh, and wood too much in that. But yeah, that's is, true. I'm not sure why Agricola came to mind first. Maybe because I learned that more recently than Settlers. Yeah. So we had played that more recently, and actually, in that same documentary, they mentioned the Fertile Crescent, which made me giggle a little bit because, <laughs> for any of you who don't know, there's 
a fantastic artistic creative photo that is on Board Game Geek, courtesy of Christopher over here. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a picture of her bum, and there's a little camel caravan heading into the quote unquote Fertile Crescent. It but... is not rated X for <laughs> any of you who got excited about that. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, we just we had an idea, we wanted to do it, and it was an interesting social experiment. But you know, we won't get into all that right now. Um, probably the only other thing that I would chip in about how games kind of relate into life is that now that I, every time I hear the Beatles sing Ticket to Ride, it's totally ruined for me. I, I can't think of that without playing the game in my head. But. The Envision Plastic Blue. Yeah, dancing. Uh, cabooses. Cabooses. <laughs> <laughs> Are there cabooses in Ticket to Ride? I don't know. We can get, you know, those uh, uh, upgrade little wooden chits, the little uh, train meeples that have cabooses if you want them. If you're really interested. No. No. I don't love the game enough to invest in that. <laughs> Fair <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to something a little little heavier. We wanted to just mix up the podcast a bit, talk about a few things that are lighthearted, but then take a, a deeper look at some of the things that are occurring in board games that aren't really mentioned a whole lot. And one thing that I really want to talk about was race. That's a few of the stereotypes and things that, that happens. Uh, you know, It's brought up in the media when you talk about uh, some movies that uh, have some racial stereotypes in it, some music, video games, and, and board games are no uh, no exception to that rule. We've got a few. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is I wanted to get Monkey's reaction to some of the games that, that have come out recently. She's a second-generation Chinese-American, and uh, one of the games that were recently reviewed and played was Cookie Fu. Uh, I spoke to the designer of, of the game, uh, Brian Kowalski, and uh, he gave me some background on the game itself and why he made those choices. Uh, that can be found on DiceHateMe.com along with the review of Cookie Food for if you want to know more about that game. But I wanted to get uh, you know some thoughts that Monkey had about the, the game itself and some of the components. And One of the things that came in the game is the game is called Cookie Food. It comes in a takeout container. It looks just like a, a takeout container you'd get at any Chinese takeout or fast food restaurant. Um, inside are actually fortune cookies that you crack open. You get secret moves for some of the, the people that are involved with the, the game itself. And the artwork is a, a little derivative. Um, you know, it's got some of the old, uh, you know, sort of a manga style look at, at some Kung Fu artists. It looks one of the, the vanilla hair on the front looks a bit like Chun-Li from the old Street Fighter series, uh, things like that. And inside, in the uh, the instruction booklet, actually looks like a takeout menu. It's 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 a little confusingly designed, but once you get through it, it's not too bad. But even one of the the you go through, and you have different moves you can do for different chi levels, which is the amount of dice that you can roll and store up. Um, but one of the the instances here is number three under Grandmaster Cookie Cookie Foo moves is that wasn't chicken hurl. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a little, you know, it's, it's poking some fun at, at a culture or at least, a you know, an, an American uh, staple of culture or what we perceive as a Chinese culture in America. And I just wanted to get Monkey's thoughts on that and just this particular game in, in initially. Well, I think there's a part of it that's very creative because the packaging is very um, condensed and they made use of many stereotypical Chinese or what America perceives as Chinese food um, references. And um, that in itself is creative to me. 
But at the same time, I don't know, stereotypes in general are kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, so I don't know that I take anything personally being, you know, considering my heritage, but at the same time, I could see how it could be a little offensive to others. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's all part of the creative process, though. Everyone's got that freedom to do as they choose. And this is the way the designer decided to best display cookie foo. <laughs> <laughs> then so be it. And, and, uh, the designer had mentioned that he's always been fascinated by Asian culture throughout his life, both uh, Japanese and Chinese. And so the design itself is not meant to be offensive at all. It's just um, it's just one of those things where there are stereotypes in games, and we have those in several different places. I mean, even on the, the packaging for Cookie Foo. The font. The font, yes. We're always talking about Whatever this. that is, anyways, where does that even come from? I have no idea. where it, It's like the old Fu Manchu movies. I mean, and I will, I will post uh, this this art along with links to these different things on Dice Hate Me, along with this podcast, so you can see a little bit closer as to what we're talking about. But you, anybody who knows, sort of, if you'd imagine in your head what a Chinese font would look like, I can guarantee you most people are imagining what this font already looks like. It's, you know, I have no idea where it would come from. It's, bound, it's based, I would like to, as a font nerd, I'd like to do some research and find out the history behind it, but it's fascinating how this has transcended as showing Asian culture, this one font. Yeah. Yeah. The graphics actually look more like anime to me. Yeah, anime and manga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They have that, that different uh, Asian flair, the sort of Japanese look um, to it. Uh, a little bit of French right there. Oh, yeah, Battle Royale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've mixed all so sort of cultures into this one. Well, beyond Cookie Fu, I mean, also since we're talking a little bit about um, Asian and, and in particular Chinese stereotypes, one of the the games that came out recently that was hard to get, limited print run, but is now being re reprinted by Z-Man Games is Walkstar. And I don't know that Monkey has ever seen the art for the front of this, so mm -hmm. this is going to be the first time she's ever seen this box cover art. So I just want to get her visceral reaction to it. So here we go. Oh, dear. So what do you think? Now, now, again, this will be linked on DiceHateMe.com. For any of you who do not know what the front of the Walkstar uh, box looks like, it is the interior of a, a uh, Asian restaurant, a more than likely so a the Chinese. Kitchen. So the kitchen, right. And there is a, a gong with a, a uh, dragon wrapped around it with Walkstar, again, in that sort of Asian uh, font, the stereotypical Asian font. Then you have a whole family that are cooking together, smiling, they're happy. It looks very clean. You know, there's nothing really out of out of sorts except for... Well, this one character right here who might be the grandfather, definitely the elder in the family. Actually, my, my first reaction when I see him is of Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right. <laughs> you know which character I'm talking about? That is, it's uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Yoni Ishii, I believe it was his name. I don't um, know. I think that I'd actually, he's the first one that came to my mind. He's, he's uh, he, basically he's... The one who has thick glasses and buck teeth and comes out in the hall. and Yeah, and is always complaining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that's actually the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> that's pretty much the same thing that came to my mind, too. And also, the did you ever see Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? Yeah. Yeah, well, that part where they're watching that movie in that and everyone's laughing except for Bruce. Mm -hmm. You know, even Lauren Holly, who has no stereotypical qualms or any type of uh, racist bone in her body is laughing at this and not realizing the implications of it. The only person that can is someone from that background. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I, I don't think the intent of 
any of these designs is to poke fun at any particular you know race or anything like that. But if your visceral reaction was to think of that sort of media. Yeah, the perception, I suppose. Right. So, I mean, looking at this, I mean, it looks inviting. It's great design, but would you want to try that game out? <laughs> what What is it about? Well, it's a cooperative game where you're actually playing against, so it's a, sort of like Pandemic, but a cooperative game where you're playing against the game itself, but it's, it's timed. So you're trying to prepare all these dishes that kind of come up on a random uh, basis. It's supposed to be really fun. It's highly rated. Again, it was a limited uh, run that was done by the designer as a self-published now Z-Man Games has uh, picked it up and is releasing it again. But, I mean, you've seen uh, you know, me talk on Twitter about it a lot yeah. and trying to find you know, limited edition runs of it, but it's, it's difficult to, to find. What demographic do you think the designers were trying to reach? Because part of it does look, it's got that cartoony sense to it where it's perhaps trying to reach a younger audience. And in that way, I would, I would have to say that I don't know if that's, how we should be presenting different cultures to the younger generation because then they carry these stereotypes along with them. I don't know. But at the same time, like I said before, it's creative license. You know? Yeah, and some people will say, well, hey, it's just a game. But it, it, these, these are the types of things that I just wanted to – I'm fascinated now that you know, I can get your viewpoint on it. Um, you know, there's – I can't initially think of any game that has – you know, struck me as being particularly, not necessarily offensive, but something that would be poking fun at my heritage. I mean, there's not any that I've played uh, redneck hick, you know, (laughs) board games, you know, that were basically trying to have those stereotypes. So I'm fascinated a little bit just by these simple ones because they do deal with Asian stereotypes, which I think that a lot of Americans have, um, and whether those are good or bad or just innocuous for anyone to, to... to try to, to take that and, and run with it, I think, is a little... I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? I get distracted, actually, to be honest with you, because the the boy in it, he's wearing his cap backwards, kind of like that character in Indiana Jones that you... Oh, short round? <laughs> so is that another stereotype yeah, that people have? No, I don't think so. And short, <laughs> short round, to be fair, he was wearing a Yankees cap, and he wore it frontwards. He only wore it backwards when he was doing a couple of things in the movie. But otherwise, he's wearing his hat normally. Um, Which actually is kind of good, then, if he was wearing a Yankees cap that was facing... Forward, then he would definitely be a short round. <laughs> yeah, especially if he wasn't wearing little blocks on his feet because he was too short. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a valid point. The only other thing I guess I would bring up, I mean, there's been a lot, there have been a lot of controversies about race in board games, and we're not saying that these are bad games at all. As a matter of fact, um, they look fairly inviting. That both of them have have some interesting mechanics. I'm fascinated with to check out Walkstar when it comes out. But one of the other games that, of course, is one of the tops at BoardGameGeek.com, and has been a, the number one game for many years running, uh, is Puerto Rico. Uh, I mentioned Puerto Rico earlier in the podcast, and one of the things is is uh, basically the colonization of, of Puerto Rico and producing, using the natural resources there to produce like sugar and tobacco, things like that. We we play we play San Juan quite a bit, mm-hmm. and it's the same concepts of that. But in Puerto Rico, there's a controversial system that uh, all, these boats come in, and you you basically draft the help of quote unquote colonists on these boats to to produce. Uh, everything on the island. A lot of people have brought up this controversy that it was it's a time period when they used slaves to colonize Puerto Rico and use them uh, to uh, to, pr- to produce all these goods. 
So the controversy has been, is this a, a racist part of a mechanic in a game? Well, it's not overt, obviously, but some people have argued that the time period is the time of slavery on the island, and some people think that it is, it is um, you know, post-abolishment of slavery on the island. So, again, bringing up race in games, it's not exactly clear as to which way that is, but it's one of those subtle nuances that I find fascinating in the culture of games itself and how board games are not exempt from some of the uh, the scrutiny that other media have. I haven't um, seen the game. What is thought to represent well, slaves? Well, the, because they're the little, there's these little brown discs that are representing colonists oh, that see. are brought over on the ship. Now, in, and I've played Puerto Rico, and, I, and I've seen it, and you know, my first thought when I saw it was not, those are slaves. Uh, they're little brown discs. They're just representative of a mechanic, and they, they're called colonists. And I'm thinking, well, they're people who are coming to work. But again, I, you know, I'm an American, white American, very white, and so it's not my initial thought to think that. But I could see, you know, maybe, maybe they shouldn't have made them brown. I don't know. I mean, that's just one of those things that can uh, stir up a subconscious idea in some people. Now, of course. They're just they're not referred to as slaves at all. They're just referred to as colonists. Hmm. Um, but again, if you're going to make a board game that is historically accurate or in that context to match me- mechanics, um, you, you kind of have to carry it to its full completion. But anyway, these are just foods for thought. All these games are, uh, for the most part, really well rated and and liked by a lot of different people. But I just wanted to bring that up as as something to chew on. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if we note any more details or nuances in, in other games now that it's been brought to our attention. Yeah, and if any of you out there listening have thoughts on it, please comment to the string on the podcast or uh, just go to DiceHateMe.com and, and uh, give us a comment. So um, that's enough of that seriousness. We're going to talk a little bit more now and uh, what we kind of like to call the state of games, which is what the podcast is named after. And this is kind of like uh, in, in the couple of weeks between podcasts where we're just living and playing and what we've played and what we think is fun and we like to introduce to other people. But before we go on to one of the games that we played this weekend, we want to talk about something that we were really super excited about. Yes. Yes. And uh, we'd like to thank the wonderful people at Ikea. <laughs> For uh, our new dinner slash gaming table. Or gaming slash dinner table. Whichever. Yeah, whichever. We uh, got it at Ikea. It's a, it's huge. It's actually, I mean, it's smaller or manageable. We have two leaves that fit in the middle of it. And yeah, which will, can ultimately seat, I think, 12 gamers uh, or diners, whichever. Uh, usually gamers, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually got a Lazy Susan to put on it, to put a game board on, so it could flip to... Oh yeah, absolutely. rotate on each side of the table. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's gonna be awesome. My oh, idea. We yeah, your idea. Yep, mine. Well, fine <laughs> then. Okay. Anyway, it's Thank nice. You. It's beautiful. It's black, uh, our brown black, uh, and uh, we we christened it the other night when we got it with pandemic, of course. Of course, because I hadn't played in so long. Yeah, she kind of demanded it. It's uh, <laughs> it's her sickness, so to speak. But no, we had a we had a great time with it. But what we discovered um, after we played Pandemic that night, which we won the first time, that we, we usually it takes us like an average of three times before we win yeah. a game. But we're also playing with the On the Brink expansion, which introduces the mutant strains and the virulent strains, things like that. So we've upped Annie quite a bit. But even with that expansion, about three, maybe three times average. But we won the first time. But uh, what were you listening to? That I was. It was some Twitter thread. I clicked on something, which made me click on something else. And 
it led to a board game geek forum where they were talking about common mistakes made in pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had to read them because I was like, surely we haven't made any, you know, we're just getting better. But lo and behold, yeah, we kind of have made a mistake. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little tiny one. It didn't affect our win this time, but I think it's going to up the um, difficulty level just a little bit. I can't believe we've missed this for that long, but basically the common mistake is when an outbreak occurs, let's say you have an outbreak in Algiers, and it, it of course, borders blue cities. When you have an outbreak in Algiers with black cubes, you actually place those colored cubes as an outbreak into one of the blue cities. So not just the blue cubes. You actually place... You would place a black black. Cl- black cube there. And not a blue cube, but a black cube there. So there can be multiple colors of an outbreak or different strains of outbreaks in, in different cities. So that, that adds to the, the, the building of that. Now, it, when an outbreak occurs, if you let's say you had two black cubes and two blue cubes and one of the cards came up to add a cube of that color, you would add blue. That would mean there would be an outbreak there. You can have... Uh, more than three cubes in that city if they are different colors. So that was something that we found that was a common mistake that we've been playing for a long time and not doing. Yeah, and actually come to think about it, even though we did have um, a lot of outbreaks to spare, it could have affected us because we um, eradicated, well, we thought we eradicated That's true. a lot of the viruses. but and They could have spread to other cities. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, we're a little embarrassed about that kind of mistake. But, you know, that's sometimes like, well, we had to play Twilight Struggle about three times at least before we <laughs> figured out all the rules for that thing. And uh, as I mentioned in my review on DiceHateMe.com, that thing reads like missile silo instructions. So it's a little bit complex, but, you know, that's that's why we learn. But we still have fun. Anyway, um, moving on to something that we've played this, actually this weekend, which was kind of great was uh, I, I bought this several years ago. It's called Cranium Hoopla. And uh, I'd only played it once, and Monkey'd never played it before either. She, I don't think she'd ever seen it. It was in the back of the games closet. Yeah. And I thought, well, we're going over to the in-laws. We're going to have kind of a game day. Well, I just dig out something fun we could try differently, and, and uh, we went over and played it. Yeah, it's uh, pretty fun. For any of you who have played Cranium before, you you know how there are different categories, and... Same thing goes here. For Hoopla, there's different activities. There's four. There's one that's called Soundstage, which is basically like your old-fashioned charades. And then there's Cloodle, which is comparative to Pictionary. And then there, there's the linguistics one, which they call Tongue-Tied. Um, and then there's one called Tweener, Tweener, which is my favorite one to say. Anyways, um, since we can't really do Soundstage or Cloodle on a podcast, we thought we'd give you an example of what Tongue-Tied and Tweener are. Tongue-tied basically relies on the person... Oh, this is a cooperative game, by the way, so everyone's just trying to beat the clock together. Yeah, it's one of the few, I guess, cooperative party games that I've seen in quite a bit that have come out that are the party game staple. Normally, you're on teams, you have to be on teams, so it can play well with you know anywhere from two to... They say two and up, but probably two to eight or two to ten, about a good limit, but... Yeah, basically the game, there's a timer, there's a cube with the different colors um, that represent the different activities, and there's a stack of cards that basically are either categorized as who, what, or where, and um, they're randomly distributed, and they each just identify either one person, one place, or one object. And so for Tongue Tied, for example... I have a who in my hand, and my responsibility, let's say um, Chris and I here were playing playing together, would be to pick any letter of the alphabet and then name single words that would 
get him and the rest of the team to identify what is on my card. So for example, I am looking at a who and I am going to give the clues Cuba communist cigar. Fidel Castro. Yeah, ding, 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 you win. Okay, <laughs> so that's how that works, which is, for Fidel Castro, honestly, it's not that difficult, but there's some, you know, with the roll of the die that you're, you get tongue-tied, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely, you're sitting there staring for forever. And then, in that case, you've got, like, these little plastic chips that you can uh, throw into the pot that allow you to choose another activity. So if tongue-tied didn't work for you, you could use Cloodle and try to draw it, like Pictionary style, things like that. You can also take a penalty which what you're doing trying to you're trying to get rid of all the cards in your hand and in this small play play deck that is created at the beginning of the game when you uh choose to take a penalty you can stop the timer uh, toss your card in and then you get a new card to replace it in your hand but you also add one to the play pile so that's if you get kind of tied up you can go up to that yeah um okay so tweeners tweeners which are my favorite tweeners <laughs> <laughs> which I think is actually very creative, and I wonder how they decided, the designers of the game decided that this was the phrase that you had to use. But basically, again, we, we have a card in, in our hand, and we fill in... Okay, so the sentence is, it's bigger than blank, but smaller than blank. And by filling in those blanks, you are giving clues to your to your teammates on what card you hold in your hand. So I have a where card in my hand, and I'm going to say it's bigger than a tulip, but smaller than Holland. Amsterdam. Yay! <laughs> you win the tweener. Yeah, I, I cheated a little bit, but it's a good clue. It was actually given by uh, your father-in-law. Yeah. Right? Yep. No, your father-in-law. My father-in-law. <laughs> your stepdad. <laughs> yeah, my father-in-law. <laughs> Never mind. It was given by my father-in-law. Anyway, so that's that's the gist of of those two fun little quirky game rules. Yeah. I don't know. And now, and now, just for fun, I'm going to pick one at random, and I'm going to try to give Monkey uh, one with a tweener. I'm going to do a tweener. Okay. Right oh. Um, <laughs> is it? What is it? Who, uh, it is what? a it is a wear. Okay. And this will be a tweener. It's bigger than uh, a wading pool, but it's smaller than the ocean. It's bigger than uh, the shallow portion and smaller than the entire pool. The deeper end of the pool. Correct. Okay. Deep end. Cool. Yes. Here. Oh, another one? Yeah. Oh, what do you want me to tongue do? Tongue tied? A tongue tied? Yeah. Okay. This is a who. Mm -hmm. Tennis. Tantrum. Oh, John McEnroe. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you get the point of it. Um, and the... Interesting thing about Hoopla, though, Cranium Hoopla, I actually think this is a really great game, but unfortunately it's no longer in print. But whether the producers of Cranium will reissue this or not, it may have not uh, been a, a strong enough seller for them at one point, but I think it's actually a really uh, cool game. One thing that you can do when you're searching for games that are out of print, of course, BoardGameGeek.com has a lot of resources. You can put a uh, post in a forum there or take a look at uh, you know auctions and things like that. But there's a website called BoardGameSearch.com. When you go to the website, you can basically type in your search for your game, put your string in the search field, and then it has buttons that very easily searches all the top sites that sell games or have uh, used games on the site. And you can just basically click on there and see who's got them for different ones. Unfortunately, 
uh, sites like Amazon, things like that. Some some sellers on Amazon have this game, but it's upwards of fifty five dollars. One of them was like a hundred. That's crazy. Absolutely. Insane. As much as I love the game, I don't. I don't, don't know about yeah. Fifty five bucks. bucks. No, there's some used ones that are that are available on eBay that are fairly uh, manageable, about twenty bucks, and that's a fair price. Um, however, I think that you could actually make this game yourself. I don't think it would be that difficult to make a print and play or a create and print version of this game because with the rules itself, which you could probably find online very easily, all you need is a timer and a, a randomizer, and then you just basically pick out a, a card and start to, to uh, you know, do it in party style. But anyway, we wanted to tell you that that's a game that we really enjoy. We had a lot of fun with it, and I think everyone will have some fun with the unique qualities, especially since it's a cooperative party game. Yeah, we definitely laughed a lot. <laughs> that's for sure. There's some funny things that come out of your mouth when uh, you're under the pressure of a timer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, unfortunately we can't show you Cloodle or, or Soundstage, but those are two of the funnier ones, uh, and I would I would wish, and possibly I'll actually scan it in and put it on the site. Uh, I'd like to show you the illustration of Madonna that Monkey made, <laughs> uh, which is the, probably the classic of, of the <laughs> and now it's time for the riddle, the riddle of, of the Sphinx. Well, folks, considering that pandemic has been somewhat of a hot topic, the question of this podcast is, in pandemic, which city or cities is adjacent and connected to the most others, and which city or cities is adjacent and connected to the least? Email your answer to podcast at dicehateme.com. The first three listeners to submit the correct answer will win a shout-out on the next podcast. And, of course, bragging rights to all of your geeky friends. If you like what we have to say and you want even more, feel free to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at DiceHateMe. And find me at Monkey238. Even though my account's private, if I think your avatar's cute, I'll probably accept you. And don't forget to check out DiceHateMe.com for cool gaming reviews, news, and random geeky views. Till next time, this is Dice Hate Me. Monkey238. Saying thanks for listening. And And may may all your your rolls be sixes. sixes.